Welcome to The Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of The Wealth Standard Radio. Uh, this is I'm Brad Gibb, hosting today. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedules to either listen to this live or download the recording. Uh, hopefully, um, that this will be another great episode. Today with us, we've got Nate Butler, uh, another wealth strategist here at uh, at Paradigm. And uh, we're going to be, today, the topic we're going to get into is we're going to talk about um, some some case studies, I guess, if you will, about how some of our clients have been impacted by the education and the process of going through the wealth standard. We're not going to get into the, the nitty gritty details of this dollar amount and these payments and, and this is what they did specifically. We're going to talk a little higher level than that and really focus on the benefit that the our clients have been able to get from from understanding what the wealth standard is, how their money moves, how it works, and how they can maximize uh, the efficiency of, of their wealth system. Because that's really, at the end of the day, there are different products that we end up help help get clients into. But what we really feel like the value add is in the education and the understanding and maybe the broadening of a vision of, of what wealth is, how it works, and how they can be set up. Um, but with that, we're going to get into that. We're going we're gonna to introduce ourselves a little bit and we'll talk about the, the process we went through, how we use the wealth standard in our own lives a little bit, uh, and then we'll get into to some examples. We've tried to take examples from, you know, all the way down, you know, younger people, I think. Nate, you're going to talk about even your kids, so all the way down, and then we've got people all the way up into their 70s that, that we're going to look at. So those are those are some of the things we've got. But uh, so anyway, thanks for joining us, Nate. How's it going? Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be here. Uh, you know, I've done a couple of these, and the, the very first one I did was with Patrick, and it was about two years ago, and I was I was nervous. <laughs> My palms were sweaty, so I'm not quite as nervous today. Good, and maybe that's because you and I have known each other for what. Geez, years now. Yeah, yeah, we we met each other in college <clears throat> yeah. years ago, and then stayed in touch, and and this opportunity came along. So yeah, it's probably that. And Pat, I don't know if he did this to you the first time he did first time I did a podcast with Patrick. I remember it was, hey, you want to do a podcast? I was like, yeah, great. What are we going to talk about? Oh, you know, we'll figure it out whenever <laughs> we start it. So he's he's definitely a ready ready fire aim yeah. uh, with a lot of that, uh, but hopefully a little prep yeah. made it made it better. So. Well, why don't we start, Nate, why don't you just tell us uh, when you first started, started learning these concepts that we've now kind of brought together and call the wealth standard, uh, when that started for you, uh, and then maybe some of the benefits you've seen from learning and, and implementing some of these principles. Okay. So actually, you and I started talking about this concept generally uh, six, seven, maybe eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And you recommended a book, which of course was uh, Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. And, and I remember <clears throat> at the time I was working for a different insurance company and I had been invited to go to, to go down to New Mexico to, to uh, talk about what I was doing and with some of my successes in the, the, the industry I was in, uh, which is more property casualty, uh, traditional life insurance sales and that type of thing mm -hmm. and investments. And I was on the plane and I had that book with me and I read the book there and then I read the book back mm -hmm. and, and change, it started changing my perspective. And I think that's, that's kind of what we want to talk about today is how, how it changes your perspective. So right. 
at the time I was, I was building my, my own business, uh, my own book of business and clientele and so forth. And, and, you know, I was doing everything, everything from A to Z, which included marketing and, and those things. So I needed, I needed a resource, financial resource to be able to market and, and grow my business. And once I read that book, something started clicking my mind where it was like, I'm saving all this cash and plowing it back into my business. But by taking that cash, putting it in my business, I'm giving up what could have been a return outside of the business. Now it was okay mm-hmm. because I was, you know, more and more profitable in the business. Right. And that, and that's still the objective. <clears throat> you didn't right. want to change that. That's it the ultimate objective. Yeah. I mean, there was no place you were going to make better money than in your business. Right. But what you started to see the perspective shift, if I'm right here is you started to see some of that opportunity cost and exactly. some, some efficiencies you could gain by understanding better how money worked. Yes. Right. Keep going. So, so I start. I started a policy immediately, and and started dumping in as much money as I possibly could. Took took loans immediately. You know, mm-hmm. hired people to to uh, to phone call. You know, call on the phones to knock doors to do the traditional type. Uh, you know, sales, mm-hmm. and and it worked uh, to some degree. Um, but one thing that that really helped me by having the policy, I could see what the policy was doing, even though I had loans against it, it was still working on its own, mm-hmm. and it created this benchmark. So I could see where you know my profits had rid has risen had had risen because of what I had you know dumped mm-hmm. back in my business. But there were certain things that didn't create enough extra profit to then pay back the loan. So it was like that didn't work. I'm not going to do that again. Because if you had just left the money alone, you could have just had it continually working right. for you. So that's what you mean by the benchmark, yes. right? Now, that idea of benchmark is going to be important. We're going to come back to that. I think a couple of the clients that we've been talking about got similar benefits from the benchmark. So remember that, and we're going to come back okay. to that. Uh, but yeah, keep going. That's great. <clears throat> okay. So I, I kind of built my practice and, and, and was doing well and, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of kept an eye open for other opportunities at the same time. And that's when you and I met and so forth. So I've had, I've had several, I've started several policies on myself over the years and mm-hmm. have used them for business, for personal and so forth. Um, but one thing I want to talk about real quick, and I'm going to bring one of my little kids into this. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I recently started new policies, additional policies, um, because we felt like we wanted more coverage. So I want to talk about not just the cash value side of things, but also the death benefit side cool. of things. And one lesson that I think is important to, for all of us to understand is what is human life value and, and why that's important to understand and to protect. Okay, so we applied for new policies, my wife and I, and we had a nurse come over to our home early in the morning and take our blood and you know do all the tests that they do. Mm-hmm. And my little kids get out of bed. This is first thing in the morning. So they're getting out of bed you know, at 6 a.m., and they're wondering what's going on. Well, she leaves, uh, and we're we're getting breakfast. You know, we're getting ready to eat breakfast. And, and my little boy was like, "Dad, what what were you doing?" And so it was, it was a good opportunity to start mm-hmm. talking about. And we had had conversations prior to this about the value, the the ability to create value for somebody else in exchange for money. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and he understands to some degree that I help people, I teach people about money. And for that value that I'm adding, they pay me or I get paid a certain amount of money. And that's how we live. That's how we're able to live in the home we live in and so forth. And so that human life value. And and then I said, but what if, what if I, what if I pass away? What if I'm not going to, but what if? Mm -hmm. And he thought for a while and he said, yeah, what would we do? I said, well, that's why we're 
That's why we had these tests done so we can buy something called life insurance. So that if I pass away early, which I'm not going to, don't worry, <laughs> he's sick, so yeah. have to be careful. But you know, he understood right there that it it was the insurance. The insurance would replace what what would have been my income, you know, over the next however yeah. many years. So. Yeah, really cool conversations. I mean, that's that's definitely a, a kind of a not everybody's going to have that type of experience or conversation with it. But that again, it, it emphasizes the multiple benefits of of working a system like this. Um, I'll just take a quick second and introduce a little bit of what I've used mine for and how I set my system up and how I run it. And then, and then, like I said, we'll get into to some client examples as well. But I started policies about the same time you did because we were kind of talking. Yeah. Well, I was talking about you as I was learning about it from Patrick. And so my policies are eight or nine years old now. But at the time, my main focus, everything I was looking at doing was, was real estate. And so I, I spent a lot of time researching how this is going to dovetail into, into my real estate yeah. investing. Because again, like you, there's no better place to, to invest in in a business or in something like real estate. And so I had to get my mind around that this wasn't an either or. It wasn't, well, I can do some into this and then some into real estate, it was meant to be a system to allow me to, to, to invest in real estate more right. effectively. So that was my, my objective behind starting it. And so I, I, same thing, started policies and began funding them. And over the course of time, I've used, I've used the policy for, for a number of purposes, mainly, um, you know, I've done, I've done kind of the traditional things, cars, vacations, you know, some of that kind of yeah, stuff. Sure. But one of the first and most impactful policy loans I took was a down payment on a, on a, on my first rental property, and so, and and the point behind that is, had I followed the more traditional thinking, with where we put our money, a lot of times we're choosing either or options, yeah. and the biggest place we're told to first make sure that we're maxing out is typically a qualified plan, and it's not that that the qualified plan by itself is a bad thing; it's just a vehicle. But for me, in my case, my objective was different than that. My objective was more immediate term, not letting my money sit for 40 years. Right. And I look at that and being able to buy that rental property as early as I did, it, it affected a shift in, in all of my mentality and, and all of my investing in the way I do, do everything to where had I, instead of had that money locked up somewhere I couldn't have used it, it would have taken me that much longer to have enough in addition to then buy that rental property. So I got into seeking the objectives I had a lot faster because I kept control of that capital. So that was one of the big principles that, that this benefited me was it, it kept money right in front of me where I was able to, to use it most effectively. So one of the words that you used there was control. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that's pivotal. Um, a lot of us start out learning from our parents, you know, that, Hey, you should put money in a qualified plan. Of course, qualified plan is IRA money, 401k 401 days, and those yeah. types of things. And, and you don't ever really start out with control of that money. So with you, I'm sure that's how you had started, but then shifting into the policy, you create, you, you reach that control, which made that shift. Right. And, and having that feeling of control, cause you're right. The, the, you know, for a couple of years I had put money into a Roth IRA and it was a very distinct contrast between ceasing funding that and saying, well, wait a minute, that's yeah. not getting me where I want to go. I, I view real estate, you know, at my, you know, then real estate was a bigger focus for me. That's going to get me to my objectives a lot sooner. And so having that shift and realizing the impact of control, um, it, 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 it accelerated my process of, of wealth creation. And I wouldn't be where I'm at now from a wealth position if, if I didn't have that right. shift yeah. because, because having the money, seeing it begin to build up 
was like, wait, I, I'm going to have enough for a down payment in X amount of time. Yeah. So I need to start researching. I need to start reading. I need to start understanding. I need to be prepared to be able to deploy that capital where I want to. So it created sort of a, a cascade or a chain effect down into, into what I was doing with my time and, and learning and development because I knew I had that capital and I needed to, to be responsible to make it work for me. Um, but with my policies, I've made down payments on rental properties. I've renovated. I flipped properties with it. Um, and, and then a little while longer and I credit my real estate investing experience with my desire to end up ultimately starting a business. Yeah. So before I was here, I was an accountant. I was, I was doing, we were, uh, I started out as an auditor for a while with some public companies, but then I started to, I entered a more niche consulting space and, and again, because I had the capital available, not tied up and locked up in a qualified plan as opportunities began to come available for me to start, you know, partnering, and owning a business, I, while I was capable, and I think a lot of us out there are capable of starting a business, but without that kind of backstop of the capital, most people don't end up taking the plunge to be able to do it. But having the capital there and accessible to where I could, I could put the money in to, to form the partnership like I did. Um, again, that was another huge benefit. Um, and then the last big benefit when I shifted away from that, I sold my practice um, and then I, I started working here and it takes yeah. time and you understand how yeah. it takes time to build a book. It takes time to get it flowing. And so I was able to, to rely on that again as a backstop. And if I had money tied up in a qualified plan, all I would have seen were taxes and penalty for utilizing it. Right. But having it accessible, I could say, no, that's going to put me again, making the shift out of accounting and into this was the objective that was moving me toward my financial goals and having that capital accessible, accessible allowed me to make that decision. Where I didn't have to, you know, so my retirement account wasn't holding me back. Yeah, it, if if you had it in a qualified plan, it, it might have prevented you from making those decisions. Yeah, if not prevented me, it would have been significantly harder right. to to bite the bullet and take that. And a lot of people out of sight, out of mind, kind right, of a thing. Right. And if it's out of sight, out of mind, they aren't seeing opportunities that are right in front of their faces. And is is that really investing? So, is it? I don't know. That, that's an interesting Elaborate. thought. I, it, so. If, if I'm an investor and if I, let's say I, I'm defining myself as an investor, I call myself uh-huh. an investor, but I'm just dumping money in a 401k that's, as you said, out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Am I even considering what it's going into? Am I doing the research to understand, to mitigate the risk? Mm-hmm. I would I would argue that absolutely not. Yeah. And and even if you want to be, you know, more, you know, s- splitting hairs with it, I think that, that you're right. Successful invest, investing entails knowledge, control, yes. understanding. Uh, of what you're doing and where it, it's a lot of people, when they think about investing, that they're looking at the product and saying, how is that product going to give me a return yeah. Yeah. where an investor looks at something and says, how am I going to add value to that product right. or that investment? That's investing, right? Giving your money to somebody else and hoping for a return. It, we, our society calls that investing, but, but if you ask any business owner, any true real investor, they're looking for ways to add value to something. Right. They're going to mix their own knowledge and experience and understanding and time and efforts with that thing. And that's where the return is going to come from. So dumping money into something like we, we've been talking about qualified plans doesn't really allow you to do that. And out of sight, out of mind, you're not looking for those opportunities to add value. So in my case, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been looking for real estate as quickly. I wouldn't have been seeking out opportunities to partner or, or to be able to do that because again, it would have been out of sight, out of mind. Right. So that's a little bit of, of kind of our shift um, 
now let's get into to some of the shifts we've seen other clients have because our situation is going to match up with all of our listeners. So what we, we kind of did is we tried to take a, a, a wide variety, age groups and, and, and different things so that hopefully in here you'll see something that might resonate with you and say, oh, okay, I can see how that would apply to me where these other cases right. might not have. So why don't you, Nate, why don't you start with just any example you've well, got? Yeah, I'll start with a, a middle-aged client. Uh, this, uh, this client has kids that are about the college age. Our, okay. you, yours and, and my kids are not at that age yet. No. Although I'm sure we're thinking my kids are about never going, my kids are never going to grow up. So <laughs> I won't ever be there. But. So yeah. And I, I feel like, I hope that's the same for me, but I, yeah, inev- inevitably it's not going to be. Yeah. <laughs> so this client, um, college savings was on their mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here, here's a, a perspective shift that, that happened with this particular client. So they, they were saving into the typical 529 plan, mm-hmm. okay? And it was to build up a certain amount of money, hopefully enough to then pay for college expenses. And that would be it. The, the account would be liquidated and it would cover the college expense. And then the child would be on their way earning whatever they're earning. Yep. Well, with the policy, here's, here's one strategy that we implemented with this particular client. So the client knew that they wanted to start a policy on themselves for all the benefits that it offers. Mm-hmm. And we've already kind of talked about those benefits. But in addition to that, part of the policy that we set up has, well, a large part of it is paid up additions, which is the rider. And that's where the bulk of the premium goes, which is initially the most efficient part of the policy from a cash value standpoint. Right. So what we did is we built a little extra room in the policy so that they could add to the paid up addition rider what they were saving for the, uh, for the college savings aside, you know, on, mm-hmm. uh, in the 529. So they redirected that cash flow. Now, here, here's what happened with the shift. Um, instead of building up the account and then surrendering or liquidating that account, the idea is to loan against, mm-hmm. pay for the college expenses, but then have the child recognize that, look, we've taken a loan against our family bank mm-hmm. and it's going to, it has to create, what you use that money for has to eventually create value enough to be able to repay that loan. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, then it wasn't, there's not enough value created. Yeah, kind of like your example of running a business, you noticed you were doing yes. things that weren't producing a return. Even though it was putting money back, it wasn't sufficient. Right. It, it wasn't a worthwhile thing. Okay. So as you, as you work with your children, uh, you know, teaching them about mm-hmm. this value exchange and, and, and how, you know, we will help provide for college. However, it's not without, you know, a certain level of remuneration back from, from the child. Well, or even, even responsibility. Cause a lot of right. people say, oh, I don't want my kids to pay back or I want to, I want to give them this gift. But I think there's a lot of people out there that are equally as concerned about, well, if I just give it to them, are they just going to party the right. whole time? Are they going to really value their education? Are they going to know why they're there? And so some of the mental shifts I've seen, I, I don't know if this is the same with your clients, some of the, <clears throat> with similar strategies I've done, the mental shift I've seen there is is that focus back to a family bank yep. and, and, a, yep. and a focus on we're working for something together. And, and the parents can say, we value education and we want you to value that as well. So we're going to assist getting you there. But it comes with a responsibility to right. to to take it seriously and, and excel and do well. And because really college, that's the whole idea behind college is it makes you a better person. It makes you more productive. Right. It's not that you have a degree, right? right? It's that you learn something and you develop yourself 
into more than you were when you entered. Absolutely. And it can shift the focus to that to say, okay, if that's the case, there's now value here. And whether the parents are going to use it or not is, is irrelevant. But saying, let's put that back. And now this is family money that we can continue. You can then take a loan to start a business. You can, it'll be inheritance for your grandkids, whatever it goes to. It, it's that recognizing value and understanding that, that yeah, we, yeah. You, you've got to make yourself better. And, and the other thing that just came to my mind is it helps us start. It, here's another perspective that I'm there, the shift that I'm starting to see with clients is it now helps us, helps us look in the long plan for the long term versus, you know, if I'm just going to save up in a 529 plan for college, then what? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like I'm just going to liquidate the account, I'm going to pay for college, and that's that. Where if I have this family banking system in place, I'm going to take a loan against it, cover college expenses, but there's still that cost remains because there's liability against your policy. It has to be repaid. So what kind of career are you going to get into? Mm-hmm. You know, How are you going to pay back that loan? And who is that going to impact? Not just yourself now, but your kids and mm-hmm. their kids and creating this you know, multi-generational planning system. Yep. Um, you know, creates a, a lot larger bet. I mean, Im, Im, envision, envision this, envision this. Your grandparents have started policies a you know, hundred years ago. Right. And then your parents, they started policies on your parents and your parents added policies and started policies on you. And now, you know, you're a third generation policyholder and have multiple policies in place already. I mean, now you're thinking not just maybe your, uh, your kids, now their kids as well. Mm-hmm. And how much further ahead would we be? Yeah. And not just because you'd have all this money, but you'd have, again, the control and the ability to, um, to, to continue to further yourselves and, and right. grow those legacies. Yeah. The, you know, leaving money isn't, that's the easy part. Yeah. Right. It's, it's leaving a, you know, a true legacy of, of what you stand for, what your values are. Mm. Um, that's a great example. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw out another example that, that's a little bit different from this one. Um, this lady that, that we worked with about, now it's been almost a year. And, no, it's been a year. It's been 18 months now. And when she came to, she's, she was in her early 50s, I think 52. And she had once really enjoyed the company she worked with, but it had changed ownership. And it just, it, it just wasn't what it used to be. It had grown and, and she just, she wasn't enjoying it anymore. And she was offered an early retirement with a with a pretty generous severance package, but she wasn't sure whether you know, whether that would last, whether, yeah. whether she could actually take that and retire, whether she needed to keep working at fifty two, at fifty two, <laughs> and and truth was she couldn't. Yeah. So we, when we first met, we kind of looked at it and said, it, "It's probably not enough. You're, you're probably gonna have to work a little longer, and you're, you're probably gonna have to pass on the severance package." But as we started to talk about the principles and understand that if we could get some money in her control, she had some ideas, real estate being one of them, um, that that if she could do that, we were trying to put together a plan that would allow her to take the severance. So what we did is we we ended up starting policies. Um, we took the severance. Well, we had anticipated the severance money because she hadn't taken it yet. Because she had, this was like in February and she had till November to decide. That's when this this was yeah. all going to happen. So we set a policy up starting in, uh, she had she had some cash holdings and she had some other assets. We liquidated, reallocated to a position where she could control them. And then she began investing in real estate. And again, because she understood the principles and understood the education we gave her, she was actually able just in that amount of time in November, she had bought two properties wow. that was producing enough. It, now it wasn't going to set her for life, but it was enough 
to where she could take the severance, add the severance to the system and continue investing. Wow. And then what she did is she got a job just in, um, it was more just to put a little money in her pocket. It was a, it was a part-time thing doing, I don't exactly remember what it was, but something that she enjoyed doing. So she, she, it was more of a hobby that she could then turn into a job to put a little bit more money in her pocket for the next year while she then took the severance money and made investments with it. Right. And by the end of that following year, that's why I say it was about 18 months because it was six months until she took the severance and then a year of investing. She was still doing the, the, the side thing because it was enjoyable for yeah. her, but she was at a point where those assets were now able to, to sustain she was, she was fully retired wow. at that point. And, and, and again, it, and doing what she, and also doing what she wanted, doing to do. something that she enjoyed doing. Yeah. So she had a, a real estate portfolio and then a, a, a job, you know, part-time yeah. that, that she enjoyed doing. So between those two things, she was doing great. And the real estate was growing and earning as well as her, and then paying her policy back to the point that, you know, she was 52. She could, she was like, I would do this for another 10 or 15 years just because I enjoy it. Yeah. But then whenever she wanted to shut that off, the real estate portfolio would have grown and the, and the policy would have sure. grown to then be able to replace that as yeah. well. So it allowed her to make a life decision that, I mean, she, she still writes me every couple months and says, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm doing this with my investments and everything. And I just can't believe yeah. how much understanding these principles changed my yeah. perspective and changed. It's just, we would have never, I mean, she had all but decided to not take the severance until we got it, deeper in. And it's kind of like it created a, a permission slip to go ahead and move forward, gave her those options, those, the, the ability to make that decision. Yeah. And it wasn't even the life insurance policy itself. It was the principles encapsulated in what we call the wealth standard. Yeah. The idea of, of having a secure foundation that she was building on, the, the knowledge base, the understanding, the control, um, and, and all of that. So, and, and again, having the money there, that was the big test, right? She had it allocated out of places that she didn't have control before yeah. to where she did. And that was the big test. She gave herself six months. And in six months, she was motivated. Wow. She figured it out and she made decisions to where she then could take the severance and then continue to snowball that. Yeah. And, and so, so that was a, that was an example of somebody said a little bit older with a shorter time frame. Where the, the strategies and because a lot of people say, oh man, I wish I'd have done this when I was twenty. You know, I could see all the benefit I could have this had I done it when I was twenty. Um, but it, it's hmm. the old saying: best time to plant a tree was twenty years ago. Right. Next best time is now. now yeah. And and that's an example of somebody with a lot shorter time horizon yeah. that still significantly benefited from from what we call the wealth standard. Right. Okay. What else do you got? Okay, so I'll I'll throw another uh, uh, client experience out here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, the retiree. Okay. Okay, so husband and wife <clears throat> been married for thirty plus years. Um, he was the main income earner, mm -hmm. and so qualified accounts were on him. His social security was greater than greater than hers. hers. Uh, she did have social security, of course, as well, though. Mm -hmm. um, and he had a pension. Uh, most people don't have pensions today. Uh, this particular individual had a pension, had qualified plans, and had Social Security. Okay. So with the with the income created by the just the pension and the Social Security, and he has um, military military pension as well. So three sources of income aside from his qualified plans, okay. or his or his assets. Right. Um, that income was enough, more than enough to cover their 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 living yeah. expenses and and lifestyle. So this guy might have looked at it and said, "Well, how is this even gonna like? I'm fine, right? Why would this even help me?" Okay. So as as we started analyzing it, at that point in time, we have to start looking at survivorship benefits, mm -hmm. and where all of this income is on the husband, 
what happens? What if he passes away before she does? Which, you know, he's older. Statistics dreams tell us that's going to happen. Probably going to happen. So the he, bigger risk would be he's got qualified money. So if they're 85 and he passes away, she can, you know, draw down retirement accounts, right? To cover that. Right. The bigger risk is what if something what, happens to him tomorrow? Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. If, if there's a, a premature passing, mm-hmm. um, what's the loss of income? So we, we went into that, we, we researched it, we analyzed it and, and it was a massive loss of, of income. Because the, the pension was gone, half of his social security was gone. 100% of the pension was gone and okay. 100% of the military pension was gone. And then half of the social security. Half the social gone. security. Okay. So you can imagine a it's big, a, yeah. and they didn't, they quite honestly, they didn't have enough assets. If he were to pass away within the next even 10 to 15 years, there's not enough assets there to replace that income. Yeah. So he already kind of suspected that. However, he didn't, he didn't know the, the actual numbers behind it. So mm-hmm. we're able to show that. And then talking not, not just about the cash value, but the death benefit. Yeah. Well, a, a quick aside right there saying not knowing how to do the analysis, that's, that's a huge piece of this. Yeah. You were talking about income streams. You were talking about at that point, life insurance, right? right? And that's, that's the emphasis we want to place here on the wealth standard is not just how to buy life insurance right. policy, right? It's how to understand retirement streams of income. It's how to understand the impact of, of growth versus income or control and leverage in those principles. It's, it's encapsulating something much larger and then a vehicle that, that most often we end up helping somebody with is into a life insurance policy because it helps us with that. But you probably spent a handful of meetings before yes. even getting to it, right? It was just analyzing and helping him understand Absolutely. how to think about it. Okay, keep going. So, <clears throat> you know, he has these qualified assets, these these other assets outside of uh, outside of what will be the policy. Mm-hmm. And the idea with, with the way we were going to structure this was to leverage cash value to get a multiple of death benefit. So we're implementing leverage there Mm -hmm. so that if he were to pass away now, of course, he doesn't plan to pass away prematurely. And if he doesn't pass, if he lives a long and happy life, he lives to life expectancy or beyond, they had all the income that they needed from the other sources of income. And now they're able to leave a legacy, which is one of their other goals. Mm -hmm. But number one, we had to make sure that both of them were taken care of. Income was taken care of first. Yes. Yes. And that's, so we, we protected that, that, uh, that loss of income and the risk associated with that. Mm -hmm. With the with the death benefit by leveraging, uh, uh, you know, implementing leverage to get that death benefit in place. Yeah, and one way that I like to conceptualize that because a lot of people can't comprehend or or get their head around why life insurance is valuable once they're retired, right? Right. Because it, it's really clear when you're 35 and you've got little kids. Almost nobody would say, well, "I don't need life insurance," right? Yeah. They want that. They right. understand that <clears throat> income replacement benefit. But once in retirement, it, without shifting your, your mindset on it, it becomes a little more difficult. And the way we look at it is we actually, it's no longer life insurance per se at that point. It's more retirement insurance, right? It, it's, it's asset insurance Absolutely. at that point. It's right. protecting because the pension they built, he paid into that for a long period of time. And now it's at risk if he's gone. So it's not really that they need to replace his earned income because he doesn't have that anymore, but they need to protect the asset that they spent 40 years building. Right. And people, you know, when I use this example with people, I say, well, if, if you have a house, would you ever not insure your house? Of course you're going to insure. Like that's the first asset most people think about insuring, but almost nobody insures their retirement accounts. Well, and how, how likely are we to use our home insurance? Yeah. Not very. 
How likely are we to use our retirement assets and those and those things? Absolutely, hundred percent. Every right? single person is going to. <laughs> so understanding that we can actually utilize some of the, these principles of leverage into, into a death benefit, but as well yeah. as the cash value and the certainty around that into protecting what we've now spent forty years building. Um, it, that's a huge mental shift for a lot of people, and I see that shift most with people who are already in retirement and walking through income streams with them and, and them realizing wait a minute, I'm just as vulnerable as I was when I was 35. Right. And, and I need that protection. Awesome. Right. Um, I've got a case that I want to, I'll throw out there right now too. There might be listeners out there saying, well, these are all cases like, wow, these are retired. They already have a whole bunch of money. Um, you know, they have the severance package option. I don't have that. What right. if I don't have anything? Right. How does this affect me? <clears throat> and so the, the case I want to use here is on a client. I don't think you could have got much worse than his position. And I'm sure you could have, but it was, I mean, every time I talked to him, I felt like I was talking to Job a little bit. I was like, geez, what's going to happen to this guy next? Yeah. But he was in his, his late, mid to late 20s. I think he's 26, 27. Uh, he was married, but in the middle of a divorce. Didn't have any kids, but uh, the divorce was going fairly nasty. Uh, it was not, you know, a very amicable split and there were lots of costs. Like he ended up having to get an attorney yeah. as a 26 year old. How are you going to wow. pay, you know, for an attorney? Yeah. They were, they already had significant. So they had credit cards, three or four credit cards maxed out. Uh, he had a car loan. Um, and then he had these bills all his money was going toward, you know, paying for this lawsuit that was, there was ended up being severance. It wasn't severance, but divorce settlements that he had yeah. to pay. So he, he was in a pretty tough spot at the time. He was, he was a manager at Walmart. Mm. So not making a ton, working a lot. I mean, this just wasn't great. And he called in kind of saying, I don't think there's anything you can do for me, but I figured I'd, I'd try. Yeah. The great thing about this case is, is dude, I've been working with him for about a year and today we've not written a life insurance policy. Mm. So that again, this is about the principles it's about yeah. understanding money. And the first thing we did is we took and we just, we just wrote everything down. Because he had never even really done that. Hmm. We just wrote everything down and saw what his income was, what his expenses were, what his liabilities were. And at least we knew what we were working with. Yeah. Because the picture wasn't pretty, but I saw a couple opportunities that were counterintuitive. He had a car loan that he was about three years into on a five-year car loan. If you understand how a car loan works, you're paying the balance of the loan down, but your payment isn't changing. Right. So he was still outlaying a payment for a lot larger loan that he had taken earlier. So he was in effect prepaying a loan. His issue wasn't the liability per se, it was cash flow. Right. That's what was forcing him to rack up additional balances on his credit cards. So his concern wasn't necessarily getting rid of the debt, it was renegotiating his terms. Yeah. So we spent some time working on his car loan. Hmm. And then he also had a relationship with the credit union. That's where he'd taken the car loan from. So we went back to the credit union and, and renegotiated that consolidation loan. To where he went in again, he didn't get rid of any of the debt, but he just moved it from credit cards to a, like a more yeah. of a line of credit, which significantly reduced the interest the rate yeah. and, and the outlay. And just by understanding the flow of money and what his objective was, that it wasn't grin and bear it and get the, the debt resolved, but let's free up cash flow right. first so we can be smarter about this. We freed up almost $500 a month. Wow. And he was only making around $30,000 a year at that time. So that's... That's, you know, 20% of his income increase. we were able to free up. Yeah. And so then we started to use that more strategically to pay down the debts that mattered. Because his car loan, you know, 4 or 5% interest rate car loan, yeah. where he was had to 20% credit right. card loans. So instead of that cash flow accelerating the payment of a car loan, we had it accelerating the payments that mattered. And we did that for a period of time. 
And then we talked about, I mean, then we got into these other, a lot of the other concepts we teach with the well standard, but that switch for him, he started looking for things that he could do to impact his situation. And, and so again, it, it got him out of that mentality. There's nothing that I can do. Right. I'm trapped. I, I can't make use of anything. He saw that, wait a minute, if I'm just a little bit smarter, I, I can do something different. And so then he got a side job driving for Uber. And in only about three months, he fully replaced his, his, wow. his full-time position yeah. at Walmart with driving for Uber, but he was doing it part-time. Yeah. So he made the choice there. He, he used a lot of that cash to, to get rid of a lot of debt. So he's, he freed up some of that, but then he, he understood, well, wait a minute, if I just get rid of debt, the money's gone. Right. So he said, how can I make investments first that then are going to support and service? So he got rid of the most risk, the riskiest debt, but he kept the others and he upgraded his car because I mean, if you're going to call Uber, you want to, you don't want to ride in you know, right. a little POS. So he, he got a nice Audi <laughs> and, and it was, a, it was a business asset investment for him. And he started, he started building this Uber business and then pretty soon he was able to quit the Walmart job, which then he freed up. 40 hours a week because yeah. he was doing Uber on the side for, you know, 20 hours a week. So now he, so first we created a cash flow asset and now we created this time asset. And the thing he's in the middle of right now, which I'm stoked to see how it goes for him is he's now building a, a business where he's selling some things on Amazon. He's got some things going there, but he's using the time he freed up to then continue to build and invest. All the while, like I said, we're not, we haven't actually implemented anything other than saying, let's get our thinking straight yeah. so that we're then in a position to be able to do it. And that, that's the difference is, is our most powerful asset is our mind. Yep. And when we're, uh, uh, you know, when we have a lot of pressure, financial pressure, it's hard to think straight. Yep. And if, and if we're, if we're implementing the wrong rules, right? If it's like being in downtown Dallas, but with a map of Houston yeah. and trying to get from point A to point B, it doesn't matter how closely you follow that roadmap. You're not getting where you right. want to go. And that's the way he was. He was following all the traditional advice. And a lot of it was just due to ignorance. He didn't know. Yeah. He didn't understand how loans work, but because a bank gave it to him, he took it and he was racking his credit cards up and didn't really understand that it was his cash flow was an issue, not the balances today. And so just again, rethinking and understanding that just completely changed his outlay that then led to one decision into another, into another. And now he, he would, he would, you know, he's doing, he's doing fantastic. Awesome. Um, and now we're in the process of where he's kind of solidified and grown the business enough to where now it makes sense to come in and begin implementing a policy that he can then take advantage of, you know, the way we've yeah. been talking about it. He's, he's shored up his, his financial situation. Now he can create this, a strong foundation with the policy and then build from there. Exactly. Exactly. But it's the same principles we teach with the insurance policy that he was implementing without it. Yeah. So again, it's just kind of a, what we've tried to put together as this wealth standard is so much more than a life insurance policy. It's a set of, it's a set of rules. It's a set of principles of how our money and our wealth grows right. and, and we need to implement them with or without the policy. A lot of what we talk about really has less to do with the policy and it's more just about understanding principles. what our money's doing. Yep. Okay. So that was another really fun example I like to share with people. You got anything else? Um, I could I could throw one more out there. Okay. Do you have Do you have more? Yeah, I've got a couple more. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one out, uh, kind of quick here. This is uh, with regards to a business owner. Okay. Now this this individual has has spent uh, the last couple of decades. Uh, he he owns his own business and has for the last couple of decades and has been very successful. 
but he's followed tr- the traditional planning and just simply put money into a 401, his 401k that mm-hmm. he set up in his company 401k. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. So, um, as we, as we talked, he, he got onto our website, the infinite 101, watched the videos. And, and it was interesting because it, again, it wasn't the policy that was making the change in this perspective and what to do. It was seeing, uh, our take on business and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so he actually started uh, doing his own videos. He started his oh, own YouTube right. channel. I think I showed you. <laughs> yeah, you showed these to me. These are awesome. <clears throat> and and I would say from from one month to the next, I mean, just the very first month. I mean, it was a massive change even before he started the policy, in in where his business, the trajectory of his business at that point, mm-hmm. and where it was headed. So he 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 liquidated what he could, uh, and is adding to the policy at as high a level as he possibly can, and and immediately he took a, he took a policy loan. And made an investment to produce some passive income on the side, um, uh, and he plans to do that again this year. Mm-hmm. So that's been fun to see uh, somebody that is completely caught on fire with the with the with the concept, the principles that that we teach, and then also see what we've developed with our website and so forth, and how we run our business. And he wants to implement. He wants yeah. to uh, mimic that and, and implement that in his own. Oh, so. that's cool. That's cool. Uh, we're we're we got about 15 more minutes. Let me throw this one out there. Um, so we've covered younger, we've covered some middle-aged people, we've covered a business owner. Let's cover those that are um, thinking, am I too old for this? Okay. Right? I think you, you probably get those calls a lot. People in their late 60s, early 70s, even mid to late 70s yeah. that say, am I just too old for this? Right. Well, I've got a client. She was, she is 78. Okay. So certainly on the older end of, of what the we're clients able to do that we here. work with. Yeah. Okay. So she had a couple objectives and, and this is a good example of you first got to get clear on your objective right. before you can know what you want to do. I, I use this example with my clients all the time. If you walked into a grocery store and just started pushing a cart around and grabbing things off the shelf, uh, when you check out, you're going to have a lot of food. Right but you're going to get home and have nothing to eat. Right. Right. Because it has to work together. Salt's not a sexy thing. There's shiny packaging that tempts you when you're in the store, but without it, none of your food's going to work. Right. So you got to understand what's my objective. What am I trying to make and build? And then you can line up which ingredients you need to get there. And, and for her, her objective was she was working at 78. She was still working part-time as a nurse Okay. and making, I mean, it was only, at, at most like one day a week, but yeah. it was enough. It, that was bridging the gap in, you know, being able to live, uh, you know, make ends meet. So she, so she was making about $500 a month that way. So, um, you know, almost nothing, but it was, it, it was, was enough the dif- to cover, it was the, the difference. cover the difference. Yeah. Right. And then she had a, a property that had been in the family for a long time. They wanted to keep beautiful property, not huge or extravagant. She was anything, living in, but she was living in it okay. and she wanted to leave it behind, but her finances had never got her to a point where she was able to pay it off. So it was right. still a mortgage on it. So she was worried. And that's why she was working. Exactly. To ensure that that mortgage payment yeah. got made, but she was worried that when she left it, either her kids wouldn't be able to make the mortgage payments or something would happen to that. And that's, right. That was her legacy that she wanted to leave behind was this property. Cause it's one of those you can't repurchase. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, when it's yeah. gone, it's, it's kind of gone. So, so those were her two objectives. So we looked at her situation and she was again, following a lot of kind of the more traditional advice, but in restructuring her situation, utilizing a combination of life insurance and annuities, we were able to take some assets that she had me. I mean, it wasn't like she had a lot of money here. I mean, she had 
Okay, it's not a ton of money set aside, but we were able to reallocate that to replace the $500 a month. And actually we were able to replace about 750 to $800 wow. a month. So we actually gave her a raise yeah. while still paying for a life insurance policy sufficient to pay the mortgage off wow. whenever she passed away. Yep. Um, now it wasn't, it, she gave up something. She had some money in, in some securities and some other places. And she had said, she never felt like that was really meeting her objective, but she didn't know what else to do with it. Yeah. So understanding that her objective no longer was growth, which is typically right. why we put things into the market, understanding that her objective was now income and then, and then paying that mortgage off allowed us to understand, okay, that, that we, need to, we need to use a different vehicle. So between even a life insurance policy on a 78-year-old, we were still able to secure enough to make sure that whenever she passed away, the mortgage was paid for. That was guaranteed because the policy would pay. There was, there was nothing there. And then we create enough income that guaranteed with that income stream, the annuity paid the life insurance policy premium and left her with $750, $800 a month in her pocket. So there wasn't any, there wasn't any risk here. It wasn't contingent on the market doing yeah. what it needed to do. It was, it was all guaranteed. It was all set in motion. The insurance company was paying the life insurance premium and then giving her the difference. So everything was was set. Now, barring some other catastrophe that was worth, you know, needing more income or whatever, but that would be the choice that she'd have to make. But now she was in that position where she didn't know how, how long her money was going to last her because she was slowly drawing. She knew that if she quit, she'd have to slowly draw right. against that asset. She didn't know how long it would last. Right. And if it didn't last, now her legacy is in jeopardy where this guaranteed the income was there as long as she lived. And she didn't care if that was a year or 20 years she knew that she had guaranteed income and her legacy was taken care of. End of story. So, so before, before implementing all this, she was being forced to work. Mm -hmm. Her attitude, I'm sure when she got up every morning or when she got up to go to work in the morning, it was have to go to work because right. I, here's this and here's that. Well, it was more, she, fortunately she enjoyed <clears throat> her work, but it was more that she was scared that she wouldn't be able to yeah, get up and go to work. It was a fear-based reason. Yeah. Well, she and she was. It wasn't that she was frustrated going to work. It was the worry that was nagging at her. Is what if I can't get up and go to work tomorrow? Yeah. And she's seventy-eight. Any time she could not right. be healthy enough to do that. Right. And that was the big fear. So she yeah. was. She was. She said a prayer of thanks every day. She could get up <laughs> and go to work. You right. Know? Um, but she certainly felt much more relieved to know she I, didn't I don't have, have to do to. that anymore. I know that it's taken care yeah. of, and she's going to continue to. Because we showed her the more she worked, you know, the, the more security there was with right. this. But she no longer had that fear. So for her, it was that fear of not being able to go to work. There are plenty of clients out there that are, I have to go to work. And it, it you know, the, if, any, if they could figure out a way to guarantee something like that, guarantee a stream of income, guarantee um, a, a chunk of money left behind, then they could, then they could make decisions that they're not going to make otherwise. Yeah. So that's an example of somebody on the, on the older end that we were still able to meet their objectives because her objective was not what it would be if she was 50 or 40 or 30. So it's understanding that because objectives are different, we, these set of rules are going to adapt to. It's a still a viable solution. Yeah. Even at age 78. Yep. Um, How much time we're. I've got one more. Go for okay, it. Okay, time-wise. Yep, go for it. Okay, so this is uh, still on the on the older end, kind of the 
the last uh, decade or 15 years of, mm-hmm. of, of an average life expectancy. Um, kind of an analogy, if, if I'm going to get in my car and drive, say, 300 miles or 200 miles or whatever, mm-hmm. am I going to try to put just enough gas in my car to get there? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to overfill it to make sure I get there plus plus extra just in case I needed it? Right. Okay. That's a good way to think about it. So most of our clients that we, that we work with, are, are, they, they put extra in the tank. Okay, and they're they're living on on some of their resource, but they're gonna have something left over to their to their survivors, yep. and it really comes down to, it, are, are are all of your assets live on money, or or a portion a portion of your assets gonna be leave on money, money that you're leaving to somebody else, mm-hmm. and and once we define that and, and help sure up maybe some of that income for the for as long as they're going to live with some other products, the idea is to guarantee income, but then also leave in the most efficient way, a legacy, and that you know, that, that, that extra, extra fuel that they, that they mm-hmm. filled their tank with. And so even though they're in their seventies, um, can they, can they start a policy and is it a viable solution for that? Absolutely. And so we, I have several clients, uh, last year that, and, and now this year that have started policies with a portion, a sliver of their assets mm-hmm. that have gone into this policy that is meant to be passed on to somebody else. However, they're not giving up control of that asset. They get to, to retain the liquidity of it through the cash value, mm-hmm. but yet still have the ability to leave an exponential increase from that cash value in a death benefit tax-free to the survivors. Mm-hmm. So even though they're in their seventies. Yeah. That's, that, I like that idea of, of live on money and leave on money. Yeah. There, there, if there isn't anything, I mean, people say, I want to bounce, you know, the last check yeah. I write to bounce, but that's pretty hard to time. Um, so there, there'll be something there, even if it's a contingency for them of living too long, right. there's going to be something left. And, and we'll walk through examples with clients too, that, that even if they're not overly concerned about leaving to their kids, what a lot of people don't understand with where they're keeping that money is the person that's going to benefit the most from it is uncle Sam. Right. Now, <laughs> if you want to make extra donations, to uncle Sam on your own, I mean, yeah. go for it. That's great. But I can think of a lot of places I would rather put it than, than in uncle Sam's pocket. Right. So just understanding and looking at it that way that let's build an efficient way to leave that money. Like you said, if you need it, it's still there. Right. You can still use it. It's still working for you. But the, the amount that you don't, if we can build a structure to not leave any of that to Uncle Sam and leave it to our kids, if you don't want to leave it to your kids, leave it to a charity, figure out something. Like I said, it's not hard to find somebody who's going to do something better with than Uncle right. Sam will. Um, <laughs> so understanding that, that, that you need a legacy plan in place whether that's a big focus for you or not, because right. anything you don't use will be left. By default um, becomes a legacy. By default. And it, that's the way it is. And usually becomes a default to at least a large portion of Uncle Sam. Yeah, Uncle Sam or, or attorneys settling your estate. I mean, right. so it, having that plan in place um, is it, just, just a wise utilization of that. Um, maybe the last example you, we'll use before we wrap up um, <clears throat> builds on that a little bit because I have – We've talked quite a bit about real estate, um, but I, I've got a client who is doing very well with real estate. That's sort of his retirement plan, but he's in his, yeah, he's in his mm, like 56, 57 and, he, and he's fine managing his property now, but he doesn't really love real estate. Like he doesn't love managing his property. He doesn't love anything about that. He just likes the return cash that it provides for him, yeah. and the cash flow and the type of asset that it is. And we were talking about it. We, our plan initially was built around him being able to acquire and, and operate his rental properties the way he needed to. And, and what we showed him greatly improved 
on what he was already doing. It was a better system. But then our, our conversation shifted to, well, this, your rental property portfolio set up to provide you enough income to live. But what happens when you're 65 and 70 and 75? Do you still want to be managing that property? Right. Is that what you still want to rely on? While great, it's still going to take time and effort to be able to do that. And the conversation shifted to, what if you didn't want to or could no longer manage that real estate? What, what, what options do you have? And that was a worry that he, he hadn't really realized before. And we even shifted to, well, what if you're still okay, but let's say your wife has a stroke. Right. And now your focus and attention has to be on her. You don't want to have to manage that rental property. Well, the way he was set up now, he didn't have any choice. That's where everything was. Right. Whereas we teach income strategies that give you the option to trade those assets, yeah. right? So you can continue to get the benefits of real estate while you want them. But as soon as you don't anymore and you prefer time or rest or income or, you know, we can, you have that ability to make the shift, yeah. but without balancing our portfolios, it's like a teeter totter. When you were a kid, I was always the skinny kid, <laughs> but if I was a skinny kid and a, and a big fat kid gets on the other end, yeah. neither of us are having fun, right? Because right? my legs are dangling in the air and the other kid's sitting on the ground. Right. Most people's retirement portfolio, regardless of what asset they're in, is balanced that way. It's all balanced toward an active, even real estate's an active asset. Right. It has to be managed. It yeah. has to be, has to be run. And, and so we've got that we've got that imbalance. And coming back and taking the well standard principles and 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 balancing that teeter totter will give somebody an option. Like like this gentleman we kind of talked about, he now knows exactly what trade he can make. Yeah. With the insurance company, you know, or or with his plan to be able to shift from real estate derived income to other sources of yeah. income. And now he knows he'll he'll manage his rental property as long as he feels like it. But now he's got that extra that strategy. Option. Yeah. Right. Um, and and that's valuable for even I mean he's in his late fifties, so that's on the horizon for him. But even somebody building in their thirties, again, it's the, the planting a tree idea. If we can do it now and know what our retirement exit strategy looks like through streams of income. Um, that that's a huge thing that we end up working with yep. clients as well. So even if it's not what they're doing with it right now, but knowing, okay, I'm going to build and then this is my exit. I mean, you would never start a business without an exit strategy. Exactly. Right. So why most people don't have an exit strategy out of their retirement income either. Right. And so this are the wealth standard gives the understanding and, and the pieces in place to be able to do that. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's awesome. That's another example. So, um, I think that's it for us today, Nate. Thanks for being on. Thank, thank you. Your insights. Thanks for the invite. I think your insights were awesome. Um, and Nate, just like all of our wealth strategists is just beyond smart. He, he, he gets this, he understands it. Um, and, and so hopefully those of you listening to this either got some new ideas for your own policies, or if you're on the fence about whether this makes sense to talk to somebody or how it can apply, hopefully these examples of, how this could be utilized and how this can benefit somebody um, has been worthwhile to, to everybody out there listening. So hopefully that was, um, was insightful. Sometimes it just takes seeing how somebody else does it Absolutely. Right? To, yeah. to give you some ideas. So hopefully you've done that. You can always contact us at info at paradigmlife.net. You can go onto our website, uh, paradigmlife.net. There's a contact us page. There's a, a multitude of free resources. We've got infinite one one which walks through, a lot of the basics, kind of a kind of a self learning course that walks. I mean, there's hours and hours and hours of videos there. You can dive in uh, with really no commitment, no cost to just understanding what what we're talking about. There's blog. There's 
tons of blogs where we've written about a lot of this. And then obviously there's the podcasts and the radio show that you can go back and listen to. Another place you can go, we've, we've really started to refer to this as the Well Standard. You can go to thewellstandard.com. That's got kind of an introduction to what we're talking about when we talk about the Well Standard. Uh, there's a series of videos there. And then be on the lookout for Patrick is, and we're working on a book that we're going to release that, that is again, going into to a lot of this detail. So that's on the horizon as well. Um, but go check out all those resources and um, we'll look forward to hearing from you next time. Thanks, Brad. Thanks. Thanks everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. 